Hi, I'm Larry Reed, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm your host, Doug Stewart, and for the next few weeks, we have sort of a special series that we're going to be doing. We did a webinar series back in 2018, and it was done live so that people could join in and ask questions and be taught. And kind of one of the purposes was to take a deeper dive into issues that are related to libertarianism and Christianity And what we wanted to do is open that up for everybody to listen to on the podcast. So the first one that we're going to do here is by Dr. Norman Horn, founder of LibertarianChristians.com and Libertarian Christian Institute. And the title is Core Values of Christian Libertarians. Now, on this podcast, we have talked about core values a lot. We've done it in several episodes. We've referenced it in other episodes. And so this particular webinar was like right on the heels of getting started with launching our core values as an organization. So he basically discusses the fundamentals of Christian libertarianism in the context of our recently, at that time, revised mission. And so there was some also additional emphasis on the kind of character we should be built to be effective truth tellers in our communities. So whether you've heard about our core values a lot, or maybe this is the first time you're joining in to hear about them, I think it's really worth hearing because there are so many things that we can get distracted by as Christian libertarians. We can get distracted by all of the our favorite pet issues and talk about, you know, to be a true libertarian Christian, you need to, you know, agree with these things. And if you're not really, a, you know, you're not really a good one if you don't ascribe to, you know, my favorite theology or way of talking about the non-aggression principle or something like that. So we think it's important to have a set of core values by which we can all agree. And we think that you'll agree with them too if you call yourself a Christian libertarian. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I want to begin by saying, you know, we give thanks to to God for each one of you for being here. Um, this is a this is a really interesting time for us as an organization as we've uh, as we've grown and changed. And I think it's worth acknowledging here uh, a few things about what we're trying to accomplish as an organization, as Christian libertarians trying to do some very unique work in spreading the ideas about liberty and and Christian faith. This organizational vision that that I'm going to be kind of proposing and putting forward to you here uh, that that, uh, really elucidates what are our core values as an organization really connects our past to our present and future. Uh, that all of the things that we have done have been leading up to this point. And the biggest growth that we have is ahead of us. Uh, and that's only going to happen, though, if we realize how we need to adapt and change and, uh, and, and yet hold steadfast to our core values. So with that, uh, let me begin by um, with our presentation here with giving you, you know, a little bit of a preview of what this is going to look like today. First of all, we're just going to talk about what, strictly speaking, is our mission and our vision. Uh, then we're just going to talk about our core values. We're going to go through them all and and kind of just in some detail, uh, really talk about what they all mean to us, why we wrote them in the way that we did, um, and what it means to all of us, uh, hopefully, as uh, united in in this idea of, of spreading liberty in the church. So what is our mission? 
the Libertarian Christian Institute um, has a history that goes back 10 years uh, at this point. And in, in, uh, I guess it'll be technically speaking, I guess in either late November or early December, I'm not exactly sure exactly when I bought the, the domain name libertarianchristians.com, but it was in uh, late 2008 in the wake of Obama uh, getting elected. And uh, the, the point then was to uh, was to just start spreading around some ideas that I had been uh, really you know trying to coalesce together into a comprehensive look of, at, to, at to what is a, what a theology of the state looks like, and that has really evolved into bringing on more and more people uh, in order to you know continue that content spreading and, and spreading the ideas, and, and so we encapsulated this mission into the following: we are our goal is to equip the church to promote a free society. And uh, we take inspiration in particular from a couple of different verses that we can, we can think of. And the first is, is Romans 12, uh, where God calls us and Paul exhorts us to not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the whole point of that, of course, is that we can understand and do the will of God. Uh, and what better part of the will of God can we, can we bring forward in our own lives um, but to treat other people in the way that, uh, that we would want to be treated uh, and to, you know, exhibit the character of Christ in ways that don't look like the pattern of the world. And the pattern, what is the pattern of the world? Well, it's, it's, it's violent is what it is. Uh, it's, you know, the primary aspect of, of world events that we see on a regular basis that, that gets pushed to us through the media and all that is one of violence. It is the activity of states trying to push each other around determining how they are going to control how other people live. And, uh, and that is both alluring because of the in, sort of in, innate sense of power that we, that we would like to have over others due to our sinful nature. Uh, and, and it's, you know, exciting in a sense. Um, but we, we have to recognize as Christians that we are against that. Uh, and then, of course, we're trying to do this all together as a people, as the church. And that uh, has to do with, you know, in a way of, uh, of looking at like Ephesians 4 in uh, verse 13, where we're trying to achieve unity in faith and knowledge of God. Um, so how are we going to do this? What is our vision for what this organization looks like at that point? Well, w- what we're trying to do here is we're creating quality resources to support Christians in the effort to equip people, to equip the church, to be promoting liberty in the world. And to that end, you know, you probably know of all of these, but just in case you haven't, you know, we do, a, we do a bunch of different things already. And we've expanded out from just a blog, uh, which was libertarianchristians.com for so long into a bunch of different things, uh, including our growing in popularity, our libertarian Christian podcast. Uh, we've, we started recently, if you haven't heard an academic journal, that's going to publish once a year with, uh, with some of the, uh, leading thinkers in the Christian libertarian movement, if you will. Uh, it's peer reviewed, just like, uh, other academic journals. It's registered as an, as a, as an academic journal with various societies and registries. Uh, it's really, really cool. I, I can't recommend it enough. Um, this connects us to academia in a new way. And we are actually really trying to get subscriptions into, uh, at least my, my goal is to hit a, a, at least 100 Christian universities, colleges, and seminaries by the end of the year. Hopefully we can do that uh, with our first issue and then start getting some subscriptions <laughs> for our second, uh, second edition that'll come out in January next year. Uh, 
And then, of course, uh, we've been supportive of efforts such as the Call to Freedom book. Uh, we, we've really pushed that hard. I wrote the forward to it. And, uh, and in fact, it, it hasn't really been announced yet, but um, we'll give you a little tidbit of coming up. We're going to be uh, helping to produce the audiobook uh, for this, and you'll be able to see it on Audible and hopefully have that out by the end of the year as well. And then, of course, our uh, the events that we've run in the past, whether that's the, the in-person events that we've run or what we're kind of moving to now, which is a very much a, 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 a webinar and an online-based presence for doing interactive conferences and series of, uh, of in-person events or online events like that. Uh, and, and so, you know, that sort of stuff is, is really important as well. And of course, you know, we, we always uh, are producing things like Romans 13 for Dummies. But, you know, that's a, that's a whole nother story, I suppose. No, that's not really a real book, and we're probably not going to publish that. But uh, we do have a, a new post out there. I mean, really, the whole point is to pr- produce, you know, easily consumable content on the net to get to people. Okay, so that's, that's the first part of here. And, uh, and so let's get into uh, core values of Christian libertarians. Um, so the, the impetus for this is that we really wanted to have something to – Wrap our wrap our brains around so that, that we could remember at all times as to why we are what we are, and uh, and and have something that we can unify uh, together around uh, that all that Christians of all types of backgrounds can um, to, can accept who are already Christian libertarians to kind of you know give a, give kind of a focal point to what where we're going. Um, both uh, both as an organization for us, but then also for for you guys as a, as a me of learning and kind of remembering who we are at any given point. Um, so to that end, we came up with five points um, that we're going to go through now and hopefully give, you know, give some, uh, some meat to each one of these as we go through it. The first of these is, you know, from the, we have to start from the beginning. And the, our first core value is that we believe that Christian political philosophy should be informed by a holistic view of scripture, reason, and historical theology. The thrust of this, you know, why we put this one together is that we want to address two pieces of, uh, that are pertinent to, you know, where we are in, in the church today. The first is how typically the church does not take a very good view of, uh, or a holistic view of scripture and that does not really uh, reason well with it. And it doesn't really address our history as the church and its interactions with the state. Now, for the most part, I, I mean, we, we, you know, we can, we can all have various opinions and, and differences in the way that we express our faith and the way that we think about theology and whatnot. But for the most part, people do um, a fairly decent job in, in the church today of trying hard to, to take a holistic view of scripture in the whole host of topics. You know, we all agree on things like the Apostles' Creed um, on what this, and what this means. We've kind of stamped out the more uh, awkward heresies of the past, and we have unity in a lot of different respects um, with, with some, you know, with, with some differences here and there. But when, the, when it comes down to the core of Christianity, um, even, if we're, even if we see that we're not practicing it all that well at times, we kind of understand what we believe there. You know, we believe there is one God, that Jesus is his son, that he died on the cross for our sins, et cetera, and, uh, and, is, and is raised to glory, and we're all going to join him eventually someday. That's all well and good. But there are certain parts of theology in which that doesn't really happen, um, or that holistic view of Scripture doesn't really happen very well. And we 
particularly think that the theology of the state is one of the most heinous of those uh, of those problems. Um, and in particular, like we would say, it is a heinous problem because of the ramifications for society as a result of misunderstanding that, because of how the state is intrinsically against and set up in opposition to the kingdom of God, um, because the state is a, is a monopoly institution of force. And that is a that value of of using force to get to accomplish goals and do what you want is antithetical to the kingdom of God. Uh, and and so what we what we say here is that you know the power of the state as it grows, um, the more proper power of churches, families, and local communities are diminished as a result. And so we need to stand against that. Now, besides the aspects of just the holistic view of scripture, we also need to recognize that we do need to use our brains and use reason to kind of augment our understanding of the world and of, you know, and even to a certain extent of scripture because we don't come to this, to reading the Bible in a vacuum. Um, you know, as I, my father-in-law likes to say, you know, the Bible doesn't teach you to bake a cake. And, and what I like to say in addition is like, you know, the Bible is not a math textbook. It doesn't, te- it doesn't really tell you that two plus two equals four. It sort of assumes it. And so there are aspects of, of scripture that, you know, that we, that we read, uh, that we come to reading scripture and we kind of understand from the outset that what we discern from there is not going to go against that which we have from evident reason and natural law as well. Uh, and so we actually see, you know, through our natural law understanding of the world and our understanding of libertarianism as a result of that comports or is concordant with the evidence of scripture as well in various ways. Uh, and then the third part of that of historical theology, I think this this was something that I really wanted us to include in there. Um, I really think it is important as Christians that we resist the urge to think that we are doing theology in a vacuum, that when we come to the scripture, we're just doing it with this, some sort of blank slate, and then we open our eyes and suddenly understand everything. Um, that is not the way that, that, that the Lord meant for it to be done. Theology is practiced in communities and is learned through the interaction of Christians together. And, uh, and in fact, I would even add that um, the attitude that, you can, that one can be a Christian without the community of God around you is perhaps on the, on the level of atomism uh, that, uh, that we do not wish to even promote as libertarians either, that some people would like to accuse us of, that libertarians are only out for themselves and whatnot and, and don't really care about communities of individuals and, and working together and any of those sorts of things. Um, that, that is a, that without an understanding of how we fit into Christian history, even we are missing out on the wealth of knowledge of Christians that have come before us who have understood things in unique ways and have expressed that to us through their writings and their about the Bible and their, uh, and their communications to us in so many various ways. And even our immediate Christian communities around us, um, misunderstanding that is a mistake and it behooves us to really, uh, to really become to a greater understanding of what it means to be part of the church universal uh, that goes back from here to, you know, the, to the resurrection of Jesus and to the apostles and the early Christians, to the, the Christians in the book of Acts. And then of course the, the early Christians uh, of, of uh, the first and second centuries. So um, in, in many respects, like this gives us a, a better way of looking at the whole of what we're trying to accomplish here uh, as, as libertarian Christians. Uh, 
uh, we're, we are to, you know, see ourselves as representing an alternative kingdom from what is in the world today. Uh, just as the ancient Christians, for instance, saw that they, uh, that the, the kingdom of God that they were building and the Romans, uh, the state of Rome, were just not compatible at all to the point at which they believed that, you know, you could not serve in the Roman army and actually participate in communion at the time. Uh, they saw themselves as living in this this system that was the was Rome, but they saw themselves also as living counterculturally, uh, and that the that the the system that they were under would ultimately pass away, and that only it would take it would just take time to, in order to get there. And and from a historical standpoint, we kind of should remind ourselves that that only changed that viewpoint of living counterculturally against the state only changed about few centuries later when Constantine actually uh, merged the throne and the altar, as, as they say, uh, and, and that, uh, you know, you, you saw this merger of church and empire, and that viewpoint began to diminish. Uh, and so we want to recapture this viewpoint overall. And so that's sort of, that's the thrust of this point two, or point number one, rather, um, of, uh, of the, that we should be informed by scripture, reason, and historical theology in order to really come to a greater understanding of how the, the Christian should interact with the state. Um, so a free and civil society depends upon respect for the non-aggression principle. This is our second core value. And really, it, you know, while our first, our first core value kind of is a, is a, a theological stance of how we, we want to approach our look at, at the state and, uh, and society today um, as Christian libertarians. This is more uh, from the natural law standpoint, if you will. And we, we understand from you know, libertarian first principles that a free society really uh, doesn't happen unless people respect each other. And that can only happen if we follow through with the non-aggression principle and realizing that, uh, that the state, you know, is, is the antithesis of this entirely. And that, uh, and that it is, that while it is founded upon violence, that anything that it, it is trying to accomplish uh, is only accomplished through the expropriation of resources and the, and the imposition of its will upon others. You know, we recognize that in contrast to that, the overwhelming majority of our interactions in society today operate on the basis of non-aggression. That if we, we realize inherently uh, that if we walk around and, and let aggression be the rule in the way that we interact with other people, then that is pure chaos. That is absolute anarchy, if you will in the bad sense of the word, that there is absolutely no governing principles, uh, that there's absolutely no, um, that there's no rules. Because like, if, if aggression is, if aggression is permitted, if aggression is the, the way in which we're, that we're uh, characteristically interacting with each other, that is pure chaos. Because there is no expectation then of peaceful interaction that you can really, that you can expect. There is no expectation of that at that point. Um, so I think that, you know, on the, on the one hand, when people want to accuse us as libertarians as, oh, well, you, you guys just don't want to have, you guys just don't want to have rules. You guys just want to be able to do whatever you want. And there's not going to be any, any, any checks and balances upon anybody. Well, that's not really the case. You know, it's, it's actually rather important for society to understand what are the backdrop of rules. And we do that 
very inherently with the overwhelming majority of our interactions. But it's only when when you start allowing for aggression to become the characteristic of interactions in society when true chaos occurs because there's no expectation of peace and civilization as a result. And while it is the case that the rise of Western civilization is concurrent with the rise of the nation state, we should say that that rise in Western civilization is despite that as opposed to because of it. And, uh, and we believe as libertarians that we can demonstrate that um, through evident reason. Okay? So that's, that's really important to kind of uh, understand here. Uh, implied in this idea of non-aggression as well, I mean, it flows directly from this, is that, uh, and this has, this has very much, you know, a, a, is a concordant effect with what we believe as Christians as well, is that our interactions to try and change people in society, to try and, uh, and affect people's behaviors or, or evangelize and do any of, any of the sorts of things that are culturally changing activities, that those, those things must be done via persuasion rather than coercion. And we, we recognize this inherently when we're trying to have various types of arguments with people that uh, by, by virtue of, you know, engaging in an argument with someone, we recognize that we, are, we cannot just beat them into submission. Uh, in order to get them to change their mind. That will neither uh, get the intended result uh, of actually getting them to change their mind, or even if it did, we'd recognize that it would be kind of on false pretenses, that it's being done on the base, not on the basis of actually having changed their mind, but because you have pushed them into doing your will rather than merging one's will with another's in, in a way to where you're now moving down the same path. Uh, so, so this is, this is important because we believe as Christians that, that, that we're doing the same thing when we evangelize and when we're trying to, you know, convince people to accept Christ as, as Lord of their lives, uh, that this is something that is done on a willing basis uh, as, you know, and, and whether or not you, you know, you, you want to take an Armenian or a Calvinist view on it, uh, we see that as being something that you cannot force someone into it as a human being, uh, you can't do that. It doesn't work. It's not right. And we're told, in fact, in scripture that that is, that that is uh, absolutely not permitted for us to do. Um, if anything, it's only in the realm of God uh, because of his claim of ownership on everything. Um, but but as, as human beings, we're called uh, to be peaceful in our interactions with other people. And, and as Christians in particular, we recognize that that is even, at, even a greater calling, that, at a, that our sinful nature uh, is very much influences us to try and be aggressive towards other people in trying to enact our will upon the world. But uh, as Christians, we're, we're called to resist that even further. Hi, this is Carrie Baldwin of MereLiberty.com and a contributor here at the Libertarian Christian Institute. If you haven't heard, I'm debating Walter Block on the question of whether a woman has the right to evict or abort her fetus at any time during her pregnancy. This debate will be hosted by the Soho Forum at 3 p.m. on Sunday, December 8th at the Subculture Theater in New York City. Tickets for this event range from $12 to $24. Seating is limited and will likely sell out. Register now to reserve your seat. You can buy tickets at thesohoforum.org. To hear more about my position, you can visit my website at mereliberty.com slash abortion. 
Now, this adherence to the non-aggression principle um, does lead to a lot of interesting questions as to what it, to what extent does that go, and uh, does this mean that we're pacifists? Does this what does this uh, mean in terms of either pacifism or self-defense? And we can talk about that uh, if if we want later down down the line. But um, but you know the non-aggression principle that 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 all that we should live and let live, assuming that we're not aggressing against somebody else. Uh, is is a is a really critical piece uh, to understanding, you know, our our place in the world. So that's that is our second core value that we that we uh, agree with the non-aggression principle and want to see that um, uh, as the as the characteristic interaction in the world. Uh, our third core value is that we would like to say that inter- individual liberty and the common good are not at odds. This comes from a, this actually is a really interesting way of looking at the world and, and a way in which Christians could perhaps have a great angle on promoting liberty in the world today. Um, because Christians recognize inherently, we should be at least, that God is inherently relational. And this happens in, and we, we recognize this in two particular ways. The first is that God in himself is the Trinity that God is father son and spirit and those um and though they are in, they are intimately related to one another they are um they are uh, the one in three and that's how we think about God um they are in perfect relation to one another uh God having created us in his image um created us with this also inherent desire to live in communities as well uh, and yet also be individuals it's an amazing creation that God has made that we can be uh, individuals with our own minds, with our own, with our own wills that we want to um, bring forward into, into the world. And yet we do that best by flourishing together and nobody has to cooperate. Uh, You're not, you're not forced to do it, but uh, that is part of our nature to cooperate, to work together and to create something together and uh, and to you know to do something in this world to ma- cause it to grow because when when it comes down to it, God's project from the beginning was to create humans in His image that did have some degree of autonomy. And why why did He do that? Well, he, it was for the purpose of a relationship, both with Him and as a with each other, and 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 for the you know again for the purpose of co participation in the growth of God's created universe. Uh, and so we we then recognize that sin, when it entered the world, mars humanity's uh, communal nature in this regard, and we're very prone to rebel against that original makeup, and that happens in multiple ways. It pits us against God. Um, we are we are thus rendered. We're, we make ourselves into enemies of God. It's not that God made us His enemies; we did it to ourselves. Uh, and even as God is trying to is, is pursuing us, and ultimately does do so, as we as we understand through the work of Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, that that's destructive to our our nature as relating individuals to to each other. Um, and we're even you know we're even pitted against the earth to a certain extent, as we learn in, in Genesis chapter three that when, when uh, one of the curses of, uh, of sin is laid out as being, you're, you're going to have to work ever more difficult in ever more difficult ways to uh, cultivate the earth. So there's a, there's a sense in which even the growth process that God instituted in, in earth 
uh, in the earth has, has been degrading in a way uh, as a result of sin. And, and so, you know, the curse, um, this curse is, you know, is obviously something that we uh, have been rescued from in the person of Christ. And this helps to restore us to proper communal relationships with our, with our fellow human beings. And so when it comes, like, this is what the church is all about, is that, uh, is that the church, you know, fundamentally from a, the universal church perspective is, uh, is all about bringing, bringing humanity back together into proper relationship with each other and with God. Uh, and so, you know, the thing, the thing that, uh, that we got to remember then when, when we start approaching the, the, you know, looking at the state is that the state does not uh, want to look at human beings like this. Uh, the state's interest is very different. It's, in, you know, be, because, of, uh, because it is founded upon violence. Um, it cannot possibly, uh, and, and th- again, this kind of goes back to our previous point, right? That, that it, because it is founded upon violence, it cannot possibly uh, result in proper understanding of community values. It's not possible because the non-aggression and, and uh, the non-aggression principle not being followed results in chaotic relationships because of the no expectations anymore of being able to operate in peaceful community with one another. Uh, that's, that is absolutely crucial to understand. And so while, while the collectivists want to, uh, want to try and kind of give you uh, ways of trying to think about it wrongly uh, and, and trying to, to get you to rally around the state with words like, oh, we're all just one big family, it's trying to co-opt the creative language of, that God has used in the past to describe how we're to interact with each other. It's never going to do so. And in fact, it's like it's, it's basically impossible to do so doing it that way. It's, it just doesn't work. Um, so I'm, I think it's worth, you know, that, that's, a, that's actually a pretty good segue into our, into our next core value, uh, which is that we, we believe that social institutions really do matter for human flourishing. We are far more interested in, the, uh, in getting um, the church looking right uh, the community of God looking right and for changing ourselves internally and letting that permeate through the church and then to the world, uh, then we are with trying to come up with the next new big thing in the state that will somehow bring greater order to the world or something like that. Um, because much as I love, much as I love Star Trek and science fiction, I don't think that the space force is the next step to human evolution uh, <laughs> or anything like that. Um, and in fact, I think that, that, that this is just, uh, this is just backwards pedaling. It doesn't do it. It's not going to do anything, but what do we mean by, you know, that these social institutions really matter for human flourishing? Well, we've, we've, first of all, we've been implying that through the, the prior two points of discussion here, that it's absolutely crucial uh, in in the world today, to recognize the value of the church in bringing both order and and salvation to the world, but the church isn't the only social institution that matters here. Uh, we we would also say, of course, that businesses are social institutions. There are clubs. There's uh, nonprofits such as the Libertarian Christian Institute, for that matter, um, and various charitable organizations too. All of these sorts of things that operate on a voluntary basis. Uh, where the expectation of the interaction there is peaceful in nature, is the proper realm of where we where we think that human flourishing is going to happen, uh, not through the 
the excursions of the state into ever more aspects of society, whether that's through regulation of various aspects of, of business or through uh, military interventions across the world, that's regression uh, back to back to you know disorder and chaos, as opposed to a progression towards uh, towards uh, prosperity and peace and and uh, and a you know and human flourishing in general. Um, so we we also want to make this point that that the social institutions matter uh, because there is the strain of thought in in non libertarian literature that accuses us as libertarians as being atomistic. And that is the, and an atomist is one you know that uh, in, in short as we'd say that you know the atomist says that only the individual matters. I'm just going to you know go off and be without a community at all, and that that's what that's what they want us that they would try to say that's what we want to do. And, and you know they're trying to lambaste us as libertarians for saying well we don't care about anybody else. We don't care about our local communities. We only are looking out for ourselves. And uh, as opposed to us, the good guys, the state, where we really care about other people. Um, and we're gonna and we'll show you how we're gonna do that by providing welfare services and and means of rallying behind you know, in order to give you meaning and, and purpose in your life and so on and so forth. And, and we need to, to recognize that we should come out immediately against that and absolutely dissolve that notion. Um, we, we have every piece of evidence again in, in the world that's, that is, uh, that's contrary to that. And though there are people out there in the libertarian circles who probably are, you know, don't have that full understanding and kind of look at it a little wrongly, uh, we need to be better than that and come fully equipped and armed to disarm those sorts of, of, um, and disarm those types of arguments. Um, one of the one of the really great points in um, in the podcast series that we recorded about uh, about these core values, and, and uh, you'll if you go back and listen to that, um, you'll you'll hear uh, from Doug and and Nick in particular about this. I think it was really cool when they were talking about how the state uh, the state tries to provide uh, various types of meaning you know, to try and get you to support it. And the more that the state does that, and the more that we tend to accept it, the less that we will seek it from the more appropriate institutions in our world. And that is in particular the church. And I think we can see that, especially in the church today, in the kind of the degradation often of the church's core values, uh, in that we're seeing so much more you know, center churches that are that really buy into nationalism, that really buy into the power of the state as being efficacious towards bringing out the kingdom of God. It's like they're forgetting that the whole point of the church was to be the kingdom of God, that it's already here right now. And uh, even though it's not fully revealed yet, um, that this that the kingdom of God is is right where it needs to be right now. And that by moving towards finding more meaning and in, in the state, we're actually uh, going to uh, diminish the power of, uh, of what we are capable of doing as the kingdom of God. So while, uh, while the state wants to accuse us of being atomist and tries to push us into collectivism, uh, we should see the reverse as our leverage point as Christian libertarians, that um, that we have a proper understanding of individualism, that it begins with, a, with an, a proper understanding of the individual, but that that flows into and is required for a proper understanding of communities. 
and proper social institutions, which are just another word for the, the communities that we participate in. So I think I've belayed that enough. Uh, let's go to our final point here. Our fifth core value is very simply Christian theology affirms the essential tenets of free market economics. Uh, this is perhaps the the maybe the, even the easiest thing that we have uh, to, that we have as Christian libertarians, uh, you know, kind of in our arsenal right off the bat, um, because so many of us kind of get into liberty by understanding the proper realm of political economy uh, and understanding. Oh my gosh, Keynesianism is terrible. Austrian economics is correct, and we <laughs> we understand this uh, very inherently. So uh, let me let me just then you know. I'm not going to go deeply into all of that, but I think there's a couple of, of real key points here as Christian libertarians that we should totally address. The first is that um, the central part of an understanding of free market economics from the beginning, and let me just remind you of it because just in case you forgot, is the emphasis on private property. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's crucial. Like if we don't understand private property, then we don't have a proper understanding of economics in general. And so, um, where does this where does this come in scripture though? Is there a scriptural basis for private property? Uh, well, it turns out that there is. Uh, it's not directly stated in the same way that um, that certain other things in scripture are. But we like to say oftentimes that it's assumed and understood through a bunch of different aspects of scripture uh, from from beginning to end. Whether you're talking about uh, the book of uh, you know the book of uh, of Genesis and and the idea that that. Um, one should not murder. That's pretty obvious. And that the, you know, even in the founding, the founding murder, if you will, of Cain and Abel. Uh, and, and there's a sense of, of right to life uh, and that we own ourselves and our bodies and that we have, it, it, you know, that one ought uh, to be, uh, to have an expectation that, you know, that they should not aggress against others uh, through violent, violent means of trying to hurt people or, and, and also to not ex to expect that that should not be done to ourselves. And then, of course, in Exodus and uh, and uh, and the books of the the um, the Torah and the injunctions towards "Thou shalt not steal" kind of imply that uh, private property is a thing, and that there's private property ownership in land uh, with the with the laws about borders and things like that. I mean, that's that's rather interesting. So it implying that there's a private property right in land, um, and though these are not you know proof texts per se, we don't want to do that. Uh, we, but but we could we should see this as being you know, the concordant with this, the natural law view that, that private property in person and things is, is proper and it's understand, it's understandable. It's, rev, and it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's part of the, the common revelation, if you will. You know, the other thing, the, another thing that we probably want to bring up here, of course, is that um, the common objection that, uh, that the book of Acts in particular um, promotes a form of socialism uh, and we should recognize that that is false and that, uh, that it actually isn't socialistic at all when you think about it. Um, their success as, a, as the early Christians in the book of Acts is entirely dependent on that behavior being voluntary. If anything, it's an injunction to be magnanimous uh, as Christians, that we should be generous with the things that we are blessed with. But that is not what socialism is about. Socialism is desired to be accomplished by, well, it's defined by the means of production being owned by the state. Does that look anything like the book of Acts? Of course not. That's insane. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it, it's even assumed in the book of Acts that all the things that they had and were giving were owned by them. The people that gave them gave so willingly because it was theirs to give. 
and a major aspect of this as well is that in order to be that kind of charitable person, even in today's day and age, of course, that kind of charity requires productivity. And productivity can really only be accomplished, especially in full, by having free markets. And while greed may be condemned in the scripture, you know, uh, the, the, We've seen we see this in various ways uh, in scripture that that greed is is uh, is something we are not to practice. Having stuff and being grateful and being generous uh, toward others who are less fortunate uh, is definitely something that we can get behind. Uh, so you know, I thought that I was n- I was not going to take up as much time as I have already. I probably rambled on in a few ways and uh, a couple of different uh, aspects, but uh, I do I, I'm kind of wrapping up here. So I want to kind of uh, wrap up there by saying, you know, free market economics may be the, one of the easiest things that we understand as libertarians, uh, but it's definitely something we should be constantly on the lookout to improve in our own exposition thereof. Um, that that a lot of people do have really faulty understandings of economics, and some of those uh, uh, faulty understandings do uh, flow or or come from their misunderstanding of scriptural principles in the church, uh, and so. We want to be careful about that. We want to recognize and keep learning about where Scripture gives us these great impetus points for uh, for free markets, and uh, and and that's something that we're going to be doing more and more of in in the Libertarian Christian Institute. So let me go to kind of in summary here. Um, so uh, our, just let's just review really fast. Uh, if we wanted to take all of what we've talked about here and just uh, and and boil it down to just a few words in each, our mission is to equip the church. That's a that that's our mission as LCI, and I hope that that's your mission too as a Christian libertarian. Is that you're working toward uh, developing other Christians as in their understandings of liberty in both explicit ways and very gentle ways as well. Uh, and our vision for us as LCI is we're going to be trying to do our best to provide you with great resources to do that. Um, and if you want to join us in that effort, uh, we hope you'll we hope you'll do that via you know becoming. Um, a regular contributor, donating, and just spreading the word. Uh, that's a great thing. Um, so our core values, uh, if you want to summarize core value number one, it's really that Romans 13 is not a proof text. I mean, that's really the backdrop of what we're getting at here is that you can't just look at one verse um, and, and say, well, that just defines the way we interact with the state. Uh, it takes a full understanding of scripture. Uh, we have to use our, our brains and understanding of the world around us, natural law to get there. And then we should be looking toward our, our history as Christians as, as for inspiration. Uh, second point, the nap is crucial. The non-aggression principle is really, really important and we shouldn't forget it. Uh, and that's, that's just super important for the way that we are, understand libertarian theory. Uh, liberty helps everybody. Uh, liberty raises the common, is sort of like raises everyone's boats. Uh, it allows people to interact peacefully together. That's crucial to, to human flourishing. And, uh, and economic liberty, uh, all, is, you know, raises all boats. Um, and so that's, that's really important. So, you know, there's no, there's no conflict between having liberty and, and having common good. The next is that is that our institutions matter, and uh, as Christians, we recognize that, that look that it's the church that's the most important part there. Uh, that's super important, uh, and so we we realize that it, that our own involvement in our churches uh, is is crucial. Even if we don't always agree with one another, we recognize that the kingdom of God is uh, is super important, and that being part of that community is great. Uh, and then finally, that we emphasize free markets. Pure and simple, uh, that that we and we continue to learn about 
uh, about economics and how to explain that to people in ways that they'll understand. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Hey, podcast listeners. Since you like listening to audio content, we wanted to let you know about a new audiobook titled Called to Freedom, Why You Can Be Christian and Libertarian. It's read by me, Jacqueline Isaacs, one of the contributing authors of the book, and every download helps to support the Libertarian Christian Institute. To learn more and to download the audiobook today, go to calltofreedombook.com.